Hello and welcome to The Hive Podcast, the series that inquires into our relationship with one another, with technology and with the living world. Join me, Natalie Nahai, and some wonderful guests as we explore how we might reimagine humanity in the face of accelerating technological advancement, ecological disruption and systemic change. For more information on today's episode and guest, please visit natalinahai.com forward slash The Hive Podcast. And for additional books and resources, check out natalinahai.com forward slash resources. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. In this conversation, I speak with Tuba Kierhan, a breathwork and embodiment practitioner I had the joy of meeting during my time at Embercombe earlier this year. Passionate about nurturing a culture of personal growth and bringing joy into our everyday lives, Tuba is a project manager, facilitator and coach who has worked in the charity and humanitarian sectors in the UK and overseas, dealing with issues such as international development and women and youth empowerment. After experiencing Embercombe's programme, The Journey, firsthand as a participant back in 2018, Tupa's relationship with the land and Embercombe's ethos has deepened, and she now facilitates on various different courses. She has also led fundraising campaigns and coordinated events including Mac McCartney's Kith and Kin Residentials. Named after the Tree of Life, Tuba is a native of rural Anatolia, Turkey, where East meets West, and this quality of bridging is present in the many ways in which she works to weave together a sense of kinship between and within humans and with all forms of life. So Tupa, it's lovely to be in conversation with you. I've been looking forward to this all week, actually. Oh, that's really nice to hear. Yeah, I've been very excited about this as well and connecting with you again. <laughs> as I mentioned in the intro, we first met when you were running some beautiful sessions on embodiment practices, breath work, connecting to our emotional terrain. And we're going to dive into that in a little bit. But I'd like to ask you from your perspective... What do you think is going on in the global human psyche right now? Hmm. A lot is going on, <laughs> if I start with that. Um, I am on the more bright side these days because I, I have been at a point where when I saw human beings as destroyers and not helping the earth and anything around it and that has shifted a lot for me as I was looking into more rewilding Mm. and in that sense that my perception has changed a lot and with this psyche of the collective psyche I feel like there has been a shift and there is more movement going on and I want to say that that I want to trust that it is in a positive way um but i don't want to make it sound like uh, you know as if it is going to be all nice and sweet <laughs> i think there's a lot of pain coming out but i feel it as if you know there is a metaphor that um one of the yoga teachers that i uh, i follow uses like a um having a hose in the garden 
and that it is blocked. It hasn't been used for a long time. So you need to give a really strong, you know, water the current to get it all cleaned. And while you're doing that, that creates a lot of stuff around the dirt as well. Uh, sometimes that's how it feels for me. Like just that cleaning takes time, and sometimes it gets very messy. And we are moving in that space mm. at the moment. And interesting with your metaphor of the hose, the thing that came to my mind was the pressure that is required to build up for the actual mm. blockage to be moved. Exactly. Um, and I feel at the moment that there's this pressure building, uh, whether or not we're leaning intentionally towards these sorts of conversations. And obviously in, in many Western cultures, we're not being impacted in the same immediate life-threatening way as millions of people around the world. But I think when we look at the droughts that are happening, the floods, I know in the UK, for instance, obviously there's Brexit, which was a shit show for this, but mm. also being unable to just go to the supermarket and buy whatever you want, whether it's in season or not. All of these things, I feel, are kind of symptomatic of the pressure that's building for change to happen. Mm -hmm. And yet it's kind of how do we engage with that in a way where we're helping people to cultivate the tools and practices to withstand and use that pressure to be able to create ways of living that are more resilient, more life-affirming. Um, I wonder if you have thoughts on that before I dive into your ways of, of approaching this in your professional life. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's very well put. I feel that as well when it happens. I can, you know, really relate to that in, you know, where I come from as well, sometimes you're like, oh, this is a lot, this is a lot, this is a lot. And it comes to a point, it's, oh, my God, this is too much. And then, you know, you see the bottom. And until you see the bottom, that you cannot come up at times. Mm -hmm. So I think there is that side of things that um, that is affecting. And when you hit the bottom, it's like, what are you going to do? Are you just going to stay there? Or will you do something? And I feel like we, uh, at the moment, I can see there is a movement that people want to do something. I, I, I trust that. And I, it feels really important to me that we, we surround ourselves with people who actually are in that awakening space. Mm. And they have that in them. And then we um, encourage each other and listen to each other and create that community at the same time, it feels really important also to hear those others that don't, you know, they're not like-minded, you know, the people that actually don't see that or they're on the other side of the spectrum and understand, like, where are they coming from? Because I feel like our, you know, collective healing and improvement lies as, as we come together so we cannot separate each other. I love that. And so let's dive into a bit of that then, because your your journey to Embercombe, where you now work, is a very interesting one. And for keen listeners, they'll recognise that you have a lilting accent. So I'd love to hear about <laughs> your journey coming to these, well, I say these shores, I'm in Barcelona, so I'm not on your shores. <laughs> I've also moved like you have. But in, in arriving in Devon and in Embercombe and mm. working with place and people and community, uh, yeah, how did you how did you come to be where you are now? Yeah, I, I love to go back to the source, actually. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in, uh, in rural Anatolia in Turkey, in the western side of Turkey. And the first five years of my life, I was in a little village 
where I was really, con- you know, we were all connected so much to our land. You know, we were, our food was coming from either from our own fields or our neighbor's fields. Like, and then there's the water was coming from the spring. We would just go out and collect water fresh and then drink that cold water. And I'm also, at the time, I don't think I noticed that, but as I go back and visit, there's this surrounded by mountains and the trees were just growing literally in front of our door. Mm. And I was so connected to nature and that was so special. And then we moved to a little town and then slightly to another bigger place. And then my separation from, I think, from my uh, roots, my, my, the, from nature started happening. And then, you know, then I, you know, the life in the city, etc., cetera, um, just took over. And then I made a decision to move to the UK mm-hmm. with the intention that I would just stay for a year and never go back. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, stay longer. And then it just took another year and another year and then I ended up staying. However, I was, you know, I was searching something. I knew that. And it was like... I didn't know what it was, mm. but I knew that was just not what I had was not it. And interestingly, when I was on a placement in um, in Bangladesh, I was working in the charity sector at the time. I heard about this place called Embercum, where humans and modern humans and nature, everything came together. And I remember just walking through the gates of Embercum for the first time. It was like homecoming wow. for me. It gave me that taste from my childhood when I felt so one with my surroundings. Um, and then since then, I kept you know, coming back to Embercum um, to help out on the journey program that you also are familiar with. <laughs> But it took me a few years to, like, when I hit that buzz and I'm like, oh, my God, I have arrived home. And I kept coming back, kept coming back, and I had this life in London, again, another city life. (laughs) And I came to a point in that city life that, you know, in a way, it was what I wanted for a long time, and it really served me well. And then I came to a point again something is not quite right and how do I make a change and sometimes I know change can happen with small steps and I absolutely think that's so valuable and I do those changes in my life as well but it was such a way in my life that I couldn't make a small change because everything else I built was against it Mm. Um, and I remember one day I went to an ashram with a friend and I went to Kali's temple. It's, I don't know if you know of Kali, it's a, a goddess like uh, around destruction. Yeah. And I couldn't understand what was happening with me. I couldn't understand why people were with this, you know, horrible looking goddess. But when I went into that temple, I just couldn't hold my tears. I was just like so moved. Something like happened to me. And as I read about Kali and understand what she stood for or stands for, it was very clear to me the message was like I had to destroy in order to recreate and rebirth. 
So that's what I did. And it was painful. It really was painful, but I left my London life, left the UK for a while. And then my coming back has been really adventurous, (laughs) challenging, (laughs) but hopeful. I had to trust. I had to remind myself that there is another way of living Mm -hmm. that I am after. And I want to see if I can find that. And that led me to MBKM. (laughs) (laughs) What an amazing journey. And also, you know, this is just the the story so far, if you like, until, until this moment. And one of the things that I think is really interesting, and there are many things in the story you've described, but, <laughs> but one of the, the threads I'd like to pull on is that question around transitions and thresholds mm. and what causes us to step over those, those boundaries, I guess, when you realize that something isn't working, when you talked about entering into the Kali Temple and something just, it sounds to me like, kind of either resonates with you or cracks open your heart or you have a sense of recognition that something needs to fundamentally shift somehow. With the work you're doing in Embercoom, with the journey and with some of the other programs, transitions and thresholds are something that are Mm. beautifully, compassionately, skillfully designed for, and you help people make meaning from where they are in their lives and where they might possibly travel onto. And so what do you think we can do to help recognize when we're we're reaching those moments of threshold or transition and what can we do to help ourselves intentionally engage with it wholeheartedly engage with it to to make change that's going to be really life-affirming yeah thank you for that question there is a quotation from Clarissa Pinkola Estes Mm. that I often share it speaks to me a lot it says I mean she says the doors to the world of the wild self are few and very precious. And if you have a deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much, you almost cannot bear it, that is a door. And if you yearn for a deeper life or a full life, a sane life, that is a door. So following the doors, we have those, you know, clues in us is so important. And, you know, when we find those doors, when we come across, there's always the thing around what is on the other side of the door. So there's definitely fear, which can, you know, which in some ways energizes us and is there to protect us, but it can be our worst enemy, you know, from moving forward and I say we need to check in with you with ourselves you know that longing if that is so strong that you have to just open that door and if your love and your desire if it is is big then I think we 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 just need to find ways to deal with that fear Um, but yeah, that's what I would say. Fear can get in the way. And just finding ways not to get rid of fear, just befriend that fear and see how you can work with it. Hmm. There's two things that I want to ask. One is around <laughs> some of the practices that you engage with to help people relate to and engage with the fear. And then also the, the jewels that might rest beneath or within the fear. And the other is around what we do when... 
not just the fear, but kind of the humdrum busyness of everyday life moves mm-hmm. us out of that space of deep yearning into kind of repetitive, restless activity. So I don't know which way, maybe let's talk about that first and then we'll talk about how we can engage with the fear through breath work and movement and embodiment. How does how does that sound? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds great. But yeah, I love to talk bo- about both of them. <laughs> I mean, like it's really in the places that where I'm so passionate about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we are coming into the topic of embodiment, if I'm right here. There are various practices that we can do actually consciously to, you know, come over our fear. I know that as a concept, it is hard to explain embodiment. Um, I did actually look up the meaning of it a while ago in the dictionary. It says it's like a tangible or visible idea, quality or feeling. Um, And it's really about like mind, body and also emotion connection. But I, um, you know, where I speak is always from practice. I'm not very good explaining concepts. I'm going to speak from the practice. So for me, embodiment is all about the practice. Mm. It's about the, you know, wholeness. And I have to say it is not really much to do with doing because it is more about how we are and it is about our way of being. Mm -hmm. So I'd say how is the, you know, key word here. And um, what embodiment isn't is it's not about the height or weight or the muscles that we have. <laughs> it's like how we are holding our bodies, how we are showing up. Um, and there are ways that we can work with that and um, that tapping into the hidden source that is in us. So I'm really passionate about finding that and helping people find that because that's what happened to me through my breath work the first time I did it I couldn't believe what happened what I experienced it was so incredible I cried for three days I accessed to somewhere within me that I never knew existed so it opened a massive door for me (laughs) and also it happened um, another story that I love uh, to share is when I first taught yoga, and that's, my, um, that's what I was doing before, I just loved yoga. I loved doing yoga. And then one day I was asked if I could teach yoga. Mm. And I was terrified, and I said <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that day when I walked onto that yoga platform, there was no sign of nerves or anxiety which I used to have a lot when I was presenting anything and you know showing up in front of people Mm. but that day I taught the class it with so much ease and peacefulness no one knew that it was my first time no one could believe that it was my first time after the (laughs) session either and I I felt like I arrived home again then this stayed with me and I was thinking what happened or what, you know, what didn't happen, just understanding. And I realized that because I was working with my body, like my working with the wisdom of my body, so my body knew and it led the whole thing. And my mind was an ally because I was moving and my words were following. So we were working together, but the lead there was my body. And I was like, 
this is a massive door for me. (laughs) I want to understand what's going on. Um, And I look at the science. And as I was teaching, teaching, I was still training in yoga and and getting into the philosophy and the science behind it. And then I find out that I think this is now a very common knowledge that 80% of the signals are sent from our body to the brain. And only 20% is sent from our brain to the body. And this is happening via the vagus nerve, which I'm not going to get into the technical information. But this is, this is big. Imagine that all this time and still we are operating from our mind, which has got like only 20% of information. And we are ignoring this whole treasure completely. So just getting into the body helps us to access to that valuable information. So that's what we um, go for. In my mindfulness coaching practices, we talk. It's important to talk. And then we say, okay, let's check in with the body. And then the, that just stopping there for a few moments and checking in gives us the information that we would have otherwise not access if we were just talking Mm. so um yeah i say like we now also know that the gut has got more you know cells than our brain (laughs) which makes it our first brain now not even second brain (laughs) and i love the quotation from uh, her name was another embodiment coach amanda blake Mm. she says your body is your brain and there's so much in that. So when I was also looking into the embodiment, I came across a TED Talk, which is like a very popular one by Amy Cuddy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a simple way of explaining what this embodiment is about. And then I love when things are backed up by science as well. Mm. And in Amy Cuddy's research, basically, we know that our uh, you know, when we are sad or we are happy, however our mood is, our body is affected by this. So we might be very closed or we might be very open. So social researchers ask the question, if our minds change our bodies, can our bodies also change our minds? Hmm. And the answer after doing the experiments and study groups, and the answer is yes. <laughs> and they, and Amy Cuddy you know, talks about this and she talks about the power pose, which is, you know, like standing like a tree, arms up in the air, really giving yourself that grounding and openness and expansion. And she says, like, just doing this for two minutes a day can really help you build that confidence. And I have to confess, I've done this (laughs) and it really works. I was like, I need to try this out. So she says, like, go on, you know, if you're on the elevator or in the bathroom, just try this. Um, And I think I probably shared this before with you as well, Natalie. You know, she says, like, everyone says, fake it until you make it. Mm. But she says, like, I don't want to get there. And I feel like I am, you know, I'm a fraud. (laughs) I want to be like, feel it. So she says, fake it until you become it. Mm So embodiment has got that element of like, even if you're not there yet, you teach your body 
And with your body, you send that, you know, information to your brain. You're training yourself by doing embodiment work. There are so many layers to us. And breath work can really help us to go underneath those layers and access to that essence that is in us, but we somehow we lost contact with. So let's talk a bit about breathwork mm-hmm. because I, in my 20s, I did a lot of things accidentally in my 20s. Well, not accidentally, but perhaps without knowledge, cultural context that we we have now. Um, mm-hmm. Someone I was seeing at the time introduced me to this breathwork practitioner who, he didn't really have a label for it, but I remember going to see him, really nice chap, and we did this kind of, what I now understand is connected breath. And this is before I'd really engaged in some of the other practices that I work in now. Anyway, I had this experience where very rapidly through the course of this breathwork session, and I was about 21, I think, I was having, it was almost like, um, I guess like a lucid dream where you're, Mm. you're in a story where things are happening and there are motifs, archetypal characters that come into play or people that seem to have healing presence, you know, mm-hmm. all of these kinds of things that can populate um, the imaginal realm. And I had this kind of vivid, almost like lucid dream experience where things were being released and it was really powerful and viscerally um, vibrant. Like mm. I felt emotions moving through my body and it was a really beautiful experience of what can happen with something as simple as breath, which is available to us in any moment. And I think there's something really beautiful and simple and powerful in the fact that we're not reliant on exogenous compounds or complicated ritualistic practices, that this is literally at its most basic level, and there are various practices, but at its most basic level, something that we can do intentionally in a safe environment to reconnect with ourselves in a way that is inaccessible in other otherwise kind of day-to-day life. What do you think is the the potential here for helping people to unlock blocks, to relate to that fear that we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier, or when they go back into their everyday lives after peak experiences, to perhaps reconnect with that sense of yearning or connection or belonging? How can we use the breath to help support us in all of that? Mm, yes, thank you for that. Breath has been such an incredible part of my journey. And when I met the power, the healing power of breath, I had another thing like, oh, my God, I need to share this with people. (laughs) (laughs) And it does come in different ways. You know, there are some like, you know, you can use breath. It's like a gym, going to a gym, a workout really helps regulating your nervous system. Because it's the only thing that we can we can manipulate basically. So we are communicating to our brain by using our breath in different ways. And and you know, as I said, there are different techniques that we use and that everyone can use. Very simple techniques. And then there is the transformational connected conscious breathing, the one that you're referring to. Mm. So we know that, you know, we act from, you know, there's the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. And then a lot of, uh, a lot of things that we, we are doing, a lot of ways that we are acting are from our unconscious minds. We don't even know why we are acting that way, mm. we, how we are 
you know, the way that we are showing up sometimes. We don't know any of some of those things because they're all lodged at the back end of our brain that we don't have access to. So during breath work, because we are working with the wisdom of the body here and the emotions and all the memories that, you know, that have been stored in our bodies, uh, released during breathwork practices. So the things that are stored in our unconscious minds, for instance, we don't even remember those things. They're there. So breathwork can help just release some of those blockages that are that are stuck there. That's why some people say that, you know, I don't know what happened, but something has shifted in me. Mm. That's, that's an incredible technology that we have in our hands. And I love how you put it. Like It's so simple and it is so us. It is not external. It is so internal. Mm. And we can work with that. And so what's interesting here also is that you know, traditional talking therapies or the, mm-hmm. the therapies we, we're perhaps more familiar with in um, Western countries don't really operate on all of these different levels. I think language is an extraordinary tool, but I've often thought that actually if you're using language to describe in rather a conceptual and abstract way things that happened, for example, when an individual was pre-verbal, before we could speak, before we could understand constructs and grammar and labels, all the rest of it, then actually language may not be a tool that is able to unlock or reach into and connect with those early years of of experience. And so I'm wondering when it comes to things like movement, for instance, which is something you mentioned briefly, um, how can we engage in movement as well as the breath work to perhaps feel our way back in to what it was to be young to be these children who have perhaps things that we've encountered or lived through or experienced that might be holding us back, that might still be um, wounded. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Just want to mention something that you made a really good point around. Language is amazing, but maybe it's not just it. (laughs) Um, And we know that it is that, you know, most of the time, I can't remember the ratio to that, but there is a ratio. It is that... It's not what we say, but how we say it mm. is making the impact on people. So I think that tells us a lot about all of the other things that are not in language. And there is definitely, I want to acknowledge, there is a big place of talk therapy, mm-hmm. absolutely important, and I love it myself as well. But on its own, it's just not enough. And for some people, it's a really good starting point if they are really like um, analytical. But you realize that it comes to a point, it's just you understand, but it doesn't change your behavior mm. because something else is needed. That's when we bring the embodiment and breath work. And for some other people, you start, these are called top to bottom or bottom to top approaches. And for some people, you start from the body, slowly you get into that and then the talking comes later. Anyway, I just wanted to name that. Um, And with the movement, so embodiment comes in various versions. Um, There are different embodiment practices. So it would be like dance and movement is definitely an important one. And it comes in different categories these days, like ecstatic Mm. dance and five rhythms. There is dance therapy, movement medicine. So these things are really helping us to 
encouraging, like, can I just move without thinking? And can I just follow my movement rather than controlling my movement? And you start to go down to your body and there is the, um, there is the freedom and liberation within that as you practice. And voice work is definitely an embodiment practice. And we have in our cultures, you know, in modern cultures, we got such a difficult relationship with our voices. <laughs> like making that sound is so hard. You know, how is it going to come out? Because we are so um, programmed to make a good sound. Mm. But voice work is not about making a good sound. It is about making that sound, the one that's coming from your belly. And there is meditation you know, mindfulness, meditation, it is about, you know, coming back to your body and your senses. And I think meditation and centering can go hand to hand as well. Some people call centering, um, grounding or organic intelligence refers to it as orientation. Mm -hmm. And this is basically using your five senses to be in the present moment. Because if you're in your senses, there is no other time. You are here. Mm. So it's a really simple yet powerful practice. As you're walking, you're just looking and seeing. You're not putting any meaning to it, but you're just um, performing the act of seeing or like noticing the smell, the taste in your mouth, the contact of your feet with the ground. So simple, yet it just brings you back to this moment, to your body. Yoga. You know, my <laughs> my love, I still, I, I am in love with yoga. But obviously, I'm not talking about the body yoga that a lot of us practice these days. You know, the yoga that is done with awareness and consciousness, basically. There is martial arts. Um, and then, the, as you can imagine, body work and body therapies, like somatic experiences, experiencing is so massive and they really go into the trauma aspect of things because when we are traumatized and if we have PTSD we are most most of the time we are disembodied we don't have connection to our body so somatic experiences you know help us to connect make that connection again I am sure there are more but these are <laughs> these are really accessible things and that anyone can find you know either online or in person sessions what I would say I although I don't like giving much advice but my recommendation would be for those who really want to explore embodiment and breath work just really trying and seeing what works it's like the gold log way of doing things you know trying until you find the right one that speaks to you mm. so one of the things that I noticed throughout the experience during the journey in Embercum was the beauty that can come from holding space in a ritualistic way and throughout this season one of the the key themes really that I'm looking into is how we can reimagine humanity in the face of accelerating ecological disruption, systemic change and technological advancement. Because it's so easy to get to get lost in the kind of the technological world, to get subsumed by our screens and in the virtual landscape of social media and emails and content. And when we're thinking about embodiment and our sense of connection with not only ourselves and 
our immediate environment, but with the wider web of life. I think that technology, for all its wonders, also can be a really um, big disconnecting force in our lives. So can we speak a little bit about the power of ritual and its ability to kind of take us back into a more consciously connected, embodied space? Mm, yes, absolutely. Um, here we call, we don't really call it ritual. For us, it is a ceremony. And there is something around the ceremony which means to me, at least, to remember. Hmm. So with every ceremony, we are remembering. Also, it is like to remember to remember <laughs> in some ways because you're taking that moment to honor that beauty and you bring that gratitude and the meaning that speaks to us. I was often, you know, I used to think when I was a teenager or like in my early adult life, you know, lots of things that I was criticizing, just like it's boring or it's silly or, you know, it's just, oh, it's old fashioned, etc. And then when I look at those days when nothing actually in a daily life had a, had a meaning mm. because everything became so mundane and ordinary. However, when I started to experience life in a more full way, I realized, oh my God, there is so much beauty, you know, there's so much extraordinary stuff going on. I'm driving and I see this full moon rising and just hanging on the sky, this magnificent energy. How can I just, how can I ignore this? But we become so blind to all of this beauty because we're so used to it. So a ceremony really helps us to see the beauty and connect with it. And when we connect, then we experience everything in a um, in a more meaningful way, I'd say. And when we say ceremony, you know, it is used a lot. So I don't mean a ceremony like a, you need to create an elaborate, you know, feast or like you need to create a shrine, etc. It's bringing ceremony to those little mundane moments as well. You know, we have the, you know, for us, before people come here, we make a little fire and put a stick on the fire. That is our ceremony. And we go to the well and collect some water and really remember what water means to us. That is a ceremony. And when we are preparing something, you know, it is like gifting someone as well. The thought that you put into that, the, you know, the excitement that you get. I'm going to, you know, collect that flower and put in a vase. And that's going to create an atmosphere. That is a ceremony. I think with ceremony, really your intention is the main thing mm. and the connection that it brings. One of the things that really strikes me about what you just described, especially as you're driving through the landscape and you see the moonrise, is being able to see again with clear eyes what it is that we're in connection with, in relationship with, being able to see the beauty not having to constantly be caught up in the narrative of, you know, whatever our chattering mind wants to be telling us. But that kind of newness and connection that comes from really being open 
to perhaps receiving what's there. And I think there's there's something curious about ceremonial space where whether it's something as simple as you as you beautifully describe of intentionally choosing a flower to put in a vase, it can be the most simplest of actions, or whether it's something which is more complex and intricate. Maybe it's about setting space where you're building a fire and there's drumming or there's a shed kind of humming in, whatever it might be. There's something about ceremonial space where coming back to this threshold idea again, we enter into a different way of seeing, feeling, relating that somehow to me feels like there's less noise in between ourselves and the living vibrant world. Mm. Somehow the dampening or reduction in that noise is made possible by certain structures that we even quite simply might put up. So what is it about a ceremony that's really fulfilling that we can understand so we can, if we're trying to design that for our own lives, we can say, okay, these are maybe some of the elements we could think about weaving in. Mm. Yes, um, thank you. Um, I always says, say that it needs to be something that is that works, that suits your heart and your soul. What touches you? Therefore, that what motivates you. So finding those things, like what is it really standing up for you? What element that you want to connect with? What, what people as well? What song? So really finding what activity that you, you do during the day or you do once in a while. Just really finding that and then starting with that, you know, pure connection. And with ceremony, it's really helpful that there's a reputation as well. Maybe mm. something that you do once in a while, you choose again that whatever suits you, maybe following the moon once a month or, I don't know, once a day, whatever, and finding that time to um, repeat it. And with ceremony, you know, you make, you prepare for the ceremony and it is the preparation is part of the ceremony but it is not uh, you don't go then and perform it it is emergent Every, even if it is a small or a massive ceremonies you don't know what's going to happen that ceremony if you know that means it is a show it's not a ceremony so it is an emergent thing so you put those ingredients that speaks to you that's that is close to your heart and then see what happens. Play with it. I would say with ceremonies, for me, for my personal exploration, it's about play as well. It's just giving that honoring and also making it playful. Mm. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the things that we started our conversation with was talking about homecoming and belonging and your early years and then your journey to being in Devon. And I'm wondering, as someone who was born in a different country, how do you create and find a sense of home and belonging? Is it something that you make and remake as the years turn? Is it something that maybe there are points in your life where you have to really consciously look at where you are and then reimagine what can be? Mm. Yeah, that's something so close to my heart. <laughs> I <laughs> There are many times that I came to Embikim and I, I, I cried my eyes out and thinking, I don't know where my home is. Mm. I, I, I didn't, at the time, I either never had it. 
or I lost them. And every time that I was, you know, coming close to something, it just it moved away from me. And when I left London, where I created myself a home, and it felt like home for me. And so that was like, oh, I destroyed my home. How could I do that? And what I find is that that connection, the bonding that you have with any anywhere, you know, it, it, that piece of land that you have, you have access to, or people that you have in your life, it is the place that you can find at home. And for me, it is also, it's a feeling at the moment. That sense of home is a feeling. It's a felt sense that I find it not only inside me, but it is deep inside me at the moment. Mm. And it is like there are threads to my home. Mm. I'm connecting to different parts with those threads. And interestingly, you know, I lost my contact with my, with Turkey and I didn't see it as home for a long time, actually. I was so disconnected and I didn't have connection to my ancestors. You know, I think it's probably some people will resonate with this, like just thinking about, oh, all this harm, all this that and not feeling belong, that sense of belonging was not there. However, I, I am so... It just makes my heart cheer to say this because I am on this land right now. On this land, I find that connection with my ancestors and my relationship with my homeland changed as I I started doing this work. And sometimes, you know, you need to, this is the conclusion I came, you need to leave where you are and it doesn't have to be physically in whatever form and you go around you go around the world <laughs> and you see different worlds, you experience different worlds, and that experience also takes you back home. So I feel right now much more connected to my homeland than ever before. And I live in this land which is so foreign to me. I, when I look at my background, I wouldn't have imagined where I, you know, my life would be this. <laughs> and I was like younger, I could have never imagined. But that is, a, I think, finding home is an inquiry. It was an inquiry for me. Hmm. And I had to wonder. I had to see. I had to try. And, and sometimes I had to feel the pain and still, still be with it. So there's something interesting in there around separation being crucial for you to come back home to yourself and that maybe there's a cyclical quality to this. Mm. Um, and, and that sense of homecoming that over time becomes a deeper felt sense that we carry within ourselves and in the relationships with people that we love. So I'd like to chat just a little bit because uh, mm -hmm. it was a really beautiful experience about the journey and the hearth and the twin trail and the rewilding courses and trainings that you're connected with and the Embercoom offer. Can you tell us a little bit about whichever one of those you'd like to mm -hmm. mention? Um, because it's really interesting that in this moment when there's so much uh, connection with technology, there's so much connection with abstraction, that these things are available and enabling people like me and people like all sorts of folks to find reconnection and make sense of where we are and how we want to live in relationship with 
the times we find ourselves in. So what are some of the courses you've got going on, um, mm. perhaps some of the ones that you're involved in as well? Mm. It feels like they're all my children <laughs> and I don't want to... <laughs> I guess I start I like to bring the journey because again it is from that place of experience where when I came on the journey not knowing what was going to happen read one line on the website connecting (laughs) with yourself and connecting with nature didn't have much funds at the time but I knew that was something I needed to do and then, then I I said to myself at the end of that week, I will never ever tell myself that I don't get enough of life because it was so full in every way. And I know it wasn't only me who <laughs> <It> felt <laughs> that way. <laughs> and, and I created something that was going to stay with me all the time. And the things that what journey helped me was the things that I thought were my issues, you know, from all my life, they didn't even cross my mind. I realized that I was just looking in front of me and it, like my body was closed and I couldn't see anything else and there was no other perspective. But the journey literally helped me to lift my head up and I saw that there was so much the world than what I was experiencing and there was more to myself as well than I realized. So that was such an important point in my life. So this is what we are offering. And I'm so excited that I'm part of this. Um, and I, I fell in love with this program because I could, you know, I experienced it and I, I saw the impact on so many people coming from such different walks of life and having the same experience is incredible Mm. and really it is about finding that connection with yourself and with others and with with nature which is also us Mm. ultimately um so the journey is running at mbcum it is um it's very welcoming and um very heartwarming. <laughs> and with all of MBQM's programs, it is about the Twin Trail. And with that, I'm going to mention also about the Twin Trail program we recently launched. And Mac McCartney, our founder, the MBQM's founder, also is part of it. In fact, he designed the program himself. Um, so MBQM is about the Twin Trail. What we mean by the Twin Trail is the inner work and outer action. And we do the inner work also to support our outer action. And that outer action, and we take it, if it is happening from the right place, so not from guilt or ego, can also you know, help with our inner work. Um, so we are bringing those two together. And if we have time, I'd like to give an example. Mm, with how, yes, okay, great. So I find that, you know, I used to work in the charity sector and what I um, heard and also experienced and witnessed in people that there was a lot of outer action. People were like going far and beyond to give, to act, to help people, to change the world. 
And they were really ignoring, suppressing, not knowing what was going on inside them. That's why there was a lot of pain. And sometimes there was, I'm not saying everywhere, but in some cases, aggression. And, you know, some there was lack of peace at times. Mm. And for me, it is that really shows us the importance of the inner work. We cannot walk with one leg. We need both of those legs. So uh, this is what we are offering at Embicum. And we are we know that there are, you know, we are in different times in our lives that for some of us at the moment it needs to be just the inner work because we are going through a lot. We need to work on that. And for some of us, that is going to be a mixture of it. But we always come back to both of them. So they're not two separate parts. They intertwine. So we are there zigzagging between <laughs> those, those two. Anyway, so the journey is about that. Also, the, the twin trail, as you can tell from the name, is about that as well. And we, uh, we really look into the inner world do the inner work, and then we walk towards the outer action. And what we realized that those one-week one, one week long courses are incredible, mm. and they really are powerful and helpful. And we also need those other um, engagements that will support our process when we, it is like a tre- when we cross a threshold or we are close to a threshold as well. So that's why we created and designed a twin trail which is spread out to many months so that we have a thread between us and we are being you know more engaged and then the change can become more sustainable in that sense that sounds really good because that's one of the things that I think I find challenging is mm. finding a way to keep connecting back in and keep connecting back in and you mentioned earlier about ways of um engaging in ceremony and, and rhythms and frequency I think so whether it's daily or weekly or monthly and I think there's also that question of how much do we actually need what does our context make possible mm-hmm. and what do we require in order to feel that we're connecting back into that so that we are able to live into our deeper potential our sense of meaning mm-hmm. and and purpose and so we're coming close to time and I'd like to ask you one last question of course which is how do you sustain yourself and orient yourself towards life and wholeness and beauty on dark days Mm, really good question um i came into terms that those days are part of the experience of life Mm -hmm. if there are no dark days then we don't appreciate the light we don't recognize the light. So that acceptance has been really supportive for me, knowing that this will pass. Uh, I love it from a Vipassana retreat, um, the, that, that phrase, this shall also pass, reminding myself that it will. And also what I learned from all of my practices is that we don't wait until everything is bad to try to do something. Hmm. We actually, you know, work on our resilience before we get there. So that helps us go through those dark times. And another thing I recognize, you know, identify the things that, that help me 
and I know what they are there in my toolkit so that I can actually get to them. When I need them, I am accessing them. So I don't need to think what would help me. Um, and if I'm very specific, that for me, <laughs> bonding is so important. So I am one of those people I have to connect. So I find my people, and sometimes my people are trees. Mm. <laughs> you know, sometimes they're just lying on the ground and being with the grass. I'm surrounded by my people as well. Just really finding those, um, finding those things. But as we talk a lot about earlier, breath is always my ally. I find so much um, refuge in my breath as well. Wonderful. Mm. Well, <laughs> on that note, thank you so much for being in conversation with me and sharing your, your stories and experiences on the podcast. If people want to learn more about your work and about Embercoom, where can they find you? Well, they can go to Embercoom website. I am there. All our work is there. Mm -hmm. And I can be found um, on Instagram with my name. Uh, it's T-U-G-B-A-K-I-R-H-A-N. Um, and then my links are on my Instagram profile. Wonderful. Tuba, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Hive Podcast with me, Natalie Nahai. If you've enjoyed the show, please do pop over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen and leave a rating and a review. It really does mean the world to me to read your support, and it keeps me going to create more seasons, especially as this is a self-funded project into which we pour hours of work creating, recording, and producing each episode. To find out more about my work, you can sign up to my newsletter at natalinahai.com, explore additional books and resources at natalinahai.com forward slash resources, and you can reach me on Instagram and LinkedIn at natalinahai. My thanks to Caro C for producing. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.